every woman has a birth story to tell. This podcast is our birth story. The birth story of how each of us became midwives. Our journey to midwifery. I'm your host, Amber Wilson, a doctor midwife. And each episode, I'll take you on another journey to hear the stories of midwives all across the globe. Listen to each tell the story of their personal journey. Listen to the words of how each was birthed into the field of midwifery and listen to the stories of trials and tribulations along the way and the love and passion each holds for midwifery. Tell us a little bit about yourself, Angie. So my name is Angie Evans. I'm currently active duty in the Navy. I've been in the Navy for 22 years. Um, I have been a labor and delivery nurse since 2009. And in 2016, I graduated from midwifery school. I completed it while I was on active duty and not through any program, just on my own. Um, I started while I was in Jacksonville, Florida, and then I transferred to Okinawa, Japan, where I finished my schooling. Okay. So can you share, um, let us know why before you started midwifery school, what made you decide you wanted to take that path? What made you apply for school? What was it that drove you? So my initial L&D experience was at a very small rural community type hospital, even though it is a military facility. And so I wasn't really sure if L&D was going to be my thing or if it was going, or if I just liked it because I had a really good mentor. Um, And then I went to Jacksonville, Florida, and I was not given an option other than labor and delivery, and I still was not convinced that that was my thing. Uh, And then I started moonlighting at a um, facility in the, like a, it was a large facility, it's a a trauma center, and it's got high-risk OB, and all of those um, big, crazy things that happen there. and that's where I knew that was the L&D was my thing. Um, and I got to see more s- stuff than I thought I'd ever see. Um, things I didn't even know I would ever see. Um, I saw just traumas. I saw high risk. I saw low risk. I saw how it all came together. Um, and it was, it was just an interesting experience. And so I was working at my... At my active duty job, I was working on my civilian job, and I just said, you know what, it's it's time to do something where I can actually make decisions for these people. Um, so I talked to my mentor, and she's like, yeah, let's do this. So started applying for school, got accepted, and went from there. So for some of my um, people that I interview with, we talk about why they chose CNM versus CPM, but it kind of sounds like since you were already a registered nurse, it made sense for you to choose CNM versus CPM. Yeah, that and my ultimate goal was to be an active duty Navy midwife. And in order to get that accomplished, you have to be a certified nurse midwife versus a CPM. Good. Thank you. Good information. Um, so this is a question that a lot of mid- people going into midwifery ask, but what age were you when you started your midwifery training? Oh, that's a great question. Let's see, 16, 13. Uh, about 35. Okay. 
35, 36, something like that. Okay. You're never too old. That's my point. <laughs> um, what school did you choose to attend? How was the admission process? What did that look like? And um, did you consider other schools or apply to other schools? Okay, so this was this is actually a very fun question. I attended University of Cincinnati. Um, it was there was a very specific reason. Um, so I went to the ACNM website and I looked at all of the uh, schools that they had listed on the site for uh, midwifery, and I knew that because of the situation that I was in, that I would be transferring in the middle of my schooling. I also knew that based off of trends that it was very likely I would be transferring overseas. So I had to pick a school that would be flexible enough to let me go overseas and still continue my schooling. And um, to so, clarify by transferring, you mean moving with the military for people who don't know. The yes. Yes. So I would, I knew I would be moving from Jacksonville, Florida to somewhere. I didn't know where at the time. And they, so I talked to, I don't even remember how many schools, but the only one of the bunch that I talked to that would let me move and even cons be considered, you know, I let them know, hey, there's a possibility I'm going to move overseas. Um, they, University of Cincinnati was the only one that was willing to let, they're like, no, the base is considered U.S. sovereign soil, therefore you can, you can transfer and go there. Um, and so with that, um, it was, um, that I, that's the school I went through. Good. That's really helpful information for anybody, not just active duty, but maybe people married to military that want to carry on their education, that that would be a good school to look into. Um, since that time, I can tell you, I've also dealt with um, Frontier while I was overseas. I had a, a friend of mine that was a Frontier student, um, and so for she was also active duty. Um, it was a little bit more challenging as far as where she could do her clinical stuff. So she was stationed in on the main island, like the mainland of Japan, and would have to fly down to the island of Okinawa in order to do her clinicals with us. But we were able to to get it done. And that was probably because Okinawa was approved at Frontier, I assume. Yes. Okay. That is good information. Um, do you remember like what the school was looking for as far as like admission? What made your application strong? That I don't really remember all that. I just remember that, you know, I talked to them about the fact that I was active duty and what all I was putting into it and the background experience that I had in L&D where I'd been working um, and that sort of thing. Okay. Um. So you kind of already addressed that, but your school was set up completely online. Did you have to visit the campus at all? Were you full-time, part-time? Um, I started off full-time, but uh, like I mentioned, I was working two jobs and trying to go to school at the same time. So that was a poor decision. Um, but I did back down to more of a part-time status. Um, it was fully online. I believe I was the last class that was fully online and didn't go to visit the campus. I know that there were there were um, classes after mine that did go to, the, to do like a campus visit. I don't know what the time frame was or what it was, but it's usually like at the beginning of the semester. Um, I think it was a good thing that they did it because there's a lot of bits and pieces that I 
could have benefited from um, being the civilian hospital that I was working with was UF Florida um, Shands Jacksonville. And so at the time that I was working there, they also had a midwifery program and they kind of adopted me into their program and let me do a lot of their um, initial stuff with them, like their first week stuff. And also to clarify, when you went through the program, it was just a, it was a master's degree. Is it still that or is it a doctor? Um, so when I went through it was a master's and they have since done a DNP as well. Okay. And is it a continued program or do you add the DMP after the master's? I or do you think, know? I think you can, I think you can start, I think you can initially request it. I know that since mine was a master's and I had to, I had to completely graduate and then reapply if I chose to do that. Okay. You did say you, you worked during school. Um, so for, for everybody listening, you do have a husband and children. <laughs> so share how I you do. managed work, school, clinical hours, your family. Did you see them? Did they know you existed during this time? And if you can that remember how, what about their ages were when you were in school? Cause that's helpful for people who have young kids, older kids, things like that. Um, so my kids were, let's see. 14, 14 and 11 when I, when I left to move to that, like I was mid program, they were 11 and 14. So they were just younger than that when I started. Okay. Um, and they're both boys. My husband is awesome. He is my stay at home house husband. I do tell him he's my housewife sometimes, but that's okay. Um, and a lot of it was just balance. And so it's like this particular time was set aside for, um, you know, school. And this time was set aside for family stuff. And it, we just worked. We saw, okay, this is the amount of things I need to accomplish for school. Okay, this is what I'm going to work on it. And then when this is done, we're going to go to the next thing. And so it was just a, a lot of balance. Um, and this is this is what my schedule looks like. This is what school is required. Okay, and then we took, filled in the holes with whatever else. Um, there wasn't a lot of sleeping. There wasn't a lot of um, extra time, but we just made sure that the time that we did have was quality and you know engaged time with the family. Um, not it was not easy. It was very challenging, um, but that's when we just kind of said, you know, it's going to be better in the long run. And once we could, you know, once I left Jacksonville and went to Okinawa, I took a semester off um, just because we weren't sure how the internet connection was going to be. And I didn't want to risk um, like dropping my GPA or, you know, missing out on a test or something and then being behind that way. So I took a semester off in the middle of that kind of regrouped, got everything situated and settled. And then we went from, you know, picked right up at the next semester. And then I was only working my one job and going to school. Um, and so I had a little bit more free time than what I had in the past. Even with clinical hours? Even with clinical hours. With clinical hours, it was nice because I could kind of arrange it based off of, it worked well with, with my boys at school also and so they were in school and then I'd be at doing clinical stuff mm -hmm. yeah that's good that's helpful with school age kids um can you share a little bit about how you financed slash paid for school 
Oh, this was this is definitely a benefit of being active duty. Um, I used the Navy's tuition assistance program and whatever that part didn't cover, um, I was able to use my GI Bill and it's called a top up. And so basically whatever the tuition assistance didn't cover, the GI Bill covered. So I didn't really have to pay for my program. It was all paid for. That's awesome. Um, now, how long after graduation did you pass boards? Did you pass the first time and what tools did you use to study? So I graduated December of 2016 and I trying to take boards was a little bit of a challenge from overseas. So I actually had to fly to Hawaii and be in a state. Um, and so I flew to Hawaii and it was the 4th of January. I took boards and passed the first time I used. I don't remember the name of it and I don't have it with me. It's whatever the red book is. Mm -hmm. And there was like a greenish book too. Mm -hmm. I used both of those um, and just read and practiced questions because I'm not a great test taker. So the more I could just practice the questions, the better it was for me. And did you feel good in the exam? Did you feel confident when you were taking uh, it? No, I wanted to throw up the entire time. <laughs> but um, and then I don't it took like it hung up, for, not hung up, but like it's it there was like a delay from the, the last question until it said that I was done. And then it didn't even give me my score. I had to go out to the somewhere else to get the printout from somebody. So it's like I don't I'm not even sure I really breathed that whole time. And then they took the paper and they just folded it up and handed it to me. And so I couldn't even like there was like no br break, no like yes, no relief until after I could like get that paper from that lady. Oh my gosh. That's so scary. <laughs> I'm sure you were like, whoo, when you got that paper. Yes. <laughs> yeah. That's awful. I had to I had to sit in the car and I had a rental car, so I just like had to sit in there and like calm down after I could finally get that paper and see get that relief that there was a pass. So when how long ago did you graduate and pass? What year was that? I graduated 2016 was when I graduated in December okay. and then I passed boards like the month later, January of 2017. So Two and a half years later, at the time of this recording, share what your post-school life has been like, your work life. So I have not been a midwife. I have been a labor and delivery nurse. I've been a nurse educator for a an LDRP, and now I'm currently the department head of an, uh, a small LDRP and uh, the uh, multi-service ward. Uh, the reason being is that the currently the military is looking at um, decreasing the number of midwives and other specialties as well um, within that within our community. Um, so, depend you know, there's other avenues that are possible for some other people, but it being the length of time that I've been active duty, it's not really a possibility for me. Um, so, um, I still function as a labor and delivery nurse. Uh, it's well known within the hospital that I work at that myself and one other person are both midwives that are not, we refer to ourselves as undesignated midwives because <laughs> the, you know, when you become a midwife in, in the Navy, you get a, a certain subspecialty code and it's, it's just a four digit number. 
um, we don't have that four digit number. So we just very kindly refer to ourselves as undesignated midwives. Um, and that's just it's known and they know what we can do and what we can't do. And so, you know, every once in a while they kind of take their time coming to the delivery or, or, you know, we'll call and they don't make it or, some, you know, we have the, you know, we always have the stop and drops that just roll in. Um, and it's helpful because we're here and we can just help them out. Um, there's a lot of push for us to get credentialed within the hospital because that's the biggest thing is we don't, we are very careful not to do anything because we are not credentialed. Um, they all know what we're capable of, but in the medical legal scheme of things, we're not covered. Um, yeah. So we're very careful with what we do and what we don't do. And it's only in the absolute situations of there's no one else around do we step in um, or everything that we do is under a direct supervision type of thing mm -hmm. um, but other than that um, no I, I haven't been a real midwife since I was in school and you are a real so midwife at heart exactly it, it gets frustrating because we can't we can't do what we've been trained to do and so it's it's like, yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I have those letters at the end of my name, but I don't get to use them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you think in your thought process right now today, do you think that you'll ever return to being a full scope midwife? I, I don't have the real answer to that question. There are days where it's like, yeah, I really want to do that, but you know, like we said, it's been two and a half years since graduation and mm -hmm. boards, so almost three years now, and the the process is not easy. So I'd have to essentially go back to school to do the, you know, the, there's a process through ACNM that you have to like basically go back to school and prove that you're not a dumb dumb and you can you know your stuff before you mm -hmm. can reintegrate back in. So. It's like, do I, do I do that or do I just keep doing what I'm doing? So today, I don't have an answer. Do you have an active license that you'll keep active as long as you can? Yeah. Okay. If you ha do you happen to know that if you do the reintegration course, uh, obviously, since you have a license, how does that coordinate? Like, yes, I did. Is it just information for the employer? What what is the use of that reintegration course? Um, mostly, it's just to show that you're up to date on the current information because our community and the information and research is changing so constant. Um, and just to make sure that you haven't lost the skills that you gained while you were in midwifery school. Um, as far as how it affects your license, I don't I don't know that yet. Yeah. Well, and I would say, in your opinion too, and just being in this situation. Um, and depending on the state you were living in, I would assume that midwives could also consider opening their own business if they felt they had that they, calling or that knowledge. They do. Uh, it is an option. Um, currently, where I'm located in the middle of the desert, there's not a whole lot of opportunity for that. Yeah. But possibly someone else, somewhere else. <laughs> In another state, yes. depending on the state yes. laws and things like that. Absolutely. Yeah. Just for information purposes. That's good. Well, thank you for sharing your story. I think all stories are important.
practicing, not practicing, changing to stay at home mom, all of, all of that is helpful. So thank you, Angie. Do you have anything else you want to add? Anything you want a aspiring midwife to know or think about? It's a lot of hard work, but it is worth it in the end. And the biggest thing that I watched happen while I was in school is there, if you're coming from a, from a place where you're going through school, but you were not a previous nurse, take that into consideration and see what the nurses are doing. Because a lot of um, the challenges that end up happening is if you don't know what you don't know, it makes it even harder. Whereas if you take that opportunity to kind of get to know what the other people are doing around you, um, the experience for everybody involved is exponentially greater. That's good. That's good information too. And especially I would assume for women coming into midwifery that don't have OB experience. Yeah. Well, okay, Angie. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed Angie's journey. I wanted to end today's episode with a few reflections. Angie is actually a really good friend of mine, and when I told her about this podcast and asked her to interview with me, she didn't hesitate. She downloaded Skype that day, went into her office, and chatted with me for an hour-long distance. But Angie didn't think she had a story to tell. She told me later that she did the interview for me to support this podcast, and for three reasons. She said, quote, there's others like me who don't feel like a real midwife, don't think that we have a midwifery story, feel stuck, and need to hear that there's still hope for us. I'm sharing Angie's thoughts with you because I want all of you to know that you do indeed have a story, no matter the ending. I promise you that somewhere out there, someone needs to hear your story. So I put my call out to all of you who are hesitating in sharing your journey to please reach out to me. My Instagram name is midwife.mommy and my email is journeytomidwiferypodcast at gmail.com because your story is important and needs to be shared.